Amen. Good to be in church Wednesday night. Praise the Lord. I'm excited to preach. I hope you're excited to listen. Um, do you pray for Pastor uh, as he's sick? Uh, pray that God will give him some healing, give him some strength. Um, it seems odd to me sometimes that God would have me to preach whenever I know that there are other people who could speak more eloquently than I could, who have more wisdom, more life experience than I do. Um, but God chose the foolishness of preaching, and sometimes he just shortens that and he chooses a foolish person to give the preaching. So uh, you're stuck with me tonight instead of pastor, so if you came to hear pastor, I apologize. Do yourself a service and be here on Sunday. Hopefully the Lord will uh, give our pastor some strength. I know next week uh, is a long week for him. Uh, our pastor carries a lot of burdens. Uh, I know many that we don't even see. Uh, you should pray for your pastor. Pray that God would give him strength uh, beyond his means. Our pastor has some big goals. Uh, with those goals come burdens. Uh, and we as a church, I hope, do our part to support our pastor. And I know that we do. Um, but anyways, that's neither here nor there. I need to get focused on the lesson. Now, the lesson that I'm going to be preaching today is, um, I feel like I end up saying this every time I preach. It's an unusual one. It's not a, a typical message. This is a message that uh, the Lord gave to me many years ago, if I'm allowed to say that at my age, when uh, I was preaching on a bus route, and I had some kids who were sold out, and they wanted to do more, and uh, so I started taking them out visiting with me, and this is a message that God gave me to preach on bus, and then it went from bus to preaching it to church kids in junior church, and then it went from junior church, and it skipped ahead to college chapel. I, I missed a, a gap in there somewhere, uh, but this is a message I've been preaching many times. I preached it uh, a few months ago at camp, and ever since I preached it at camp, I don't know, it's just, it's every day the Lord just hammers me with it and hammers me with it. And the Lord's been dealing with my heart about it, so I wanted to bring it to you today because I feel like this is the message the Lord would have us to bring. Um, and while I'm up here, I do want to take this opportunity. I, I reached out to a friend from uh, Bible college a couple days ago. I hadn't talked to him in, I don't know, three or four years. And uh, he asked me, he's like, hey, how's life going? How you doing? And I said, you know, I'm living the dream. And I said it first as just a cliche statement, and then I started thinking about it. And I was like, you know, I wouldn't change anything in my life if I could. Uh, I love this church. Thank you for everything that you've done for me and my family. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to serve. Uh, I know not everyone can be a staff member, but if there were no you, there could be no me. I wouldn't get paid to do what I love, uh, and I love what I do, even sometimes teaching in the academy. I can take or leave them sometimes. I'm kidding. They're yahoos, but I love them. So, with that being said, um, I need to focus in on the message, otherwise I'm never going to get to it. The title of the message today is Coca-Cola Christianity. Now, where did I put them? Now, because this was a junior church message, I could not preach this without having visual aids. There's perhaps nothing that is more recognizable than the sign of Coca-Cola. Now, I've had the privilege of being in a couple of different countries, whether just passing through or uh, visiting, and every single country I've been to, I've seen somebody with a Coca-Cola shirt, a Coca-Cola slogan inside of their language. Now, you don't have to know that language to know what that shirt or that slogan says. Everyone knows Coca-Cola. It is said that there are two universal words that transcend every language, and no matter where you go in the world, if you say that word, no matter what language it is, they will know what, you, what you're saying. The first one is hallelujah, and the second one is Coca-Cola. Those are the only two words, and, and that's serious, that are considered to be uh, universal. Now, 
I'm not a huge fan of soft drinks. Uh, I could take or leave them all except for uh, cream soda. I like cream soda, but I'm more of a coffee guy. If I never touched a soft drink again in my life, I would be okay. Uh, if you find a coffee-flavored soft drink, maybe get a hold of me, but otherwise, I'm okay. Um, but I don't mind Coca-Cola. I'll drink it. Uh, does anybody remember whenever they had the names on the labels? Uh, I thought that was interesting, especially whenever you're going to get a drink and you have that one person in front of you who's shuffling through 100 to find their name and is saying, I'm sorry, bud, let's just move along so we can get a drink. Um, has anyone ever been to the museum, the Coca-Cola Museum in Atlanta? I've heard it's a very interesting visit, and I want to go. So for those of you who have been to the museum, you might know a little bit. I'm not sure what kind of museum it is. You might know a little bit about the history of the company and of the drink. Uh, but Coca-Cola was founded by a Confederate colonel named John Pemberton from Atlanta, Georgia. And he created the drink in 1885 for medicinal purposes. It was meant to be medicine. Now, it's funny because we say... Of course, it's not good for you. But back then, they thought that carbonation was good. They thought it was healthy. Uh, how they came to that conclusion, I don't know. But that's what they thought. So the next time your doctor says you need to lay off the soft drinks, tell them you're not unhealthy. You were just born in the wrong generation. But the soft drink was considered to be a medicinal drink. John died soon after, and his son sold the struggling company for $300 three years later to a man named Asa Candler. Now, Asa Candler began using painted advertisements because he wanted everyone to know about this soft drink. He was going to do whatever it took to sell some more of these drinks. And I was happy that I could find the original bottle to show you because I like the original bottle much better than the ones they have today. But he wanted everyone to see a Coca-Cola and instantly recognize it and instantly want one. So he started using these painted advertisements to boost the popularity of the drink. And Coca-Cola's first ever ad Red, Coca-Cola, delicious, refreshing, exhilarating, invigorating. That was their first ever ad. And you say, well, was it successful? Well, I would say so. 30 years later, in 1919, Asa Candler sold the company to a group of investors for $25 million. For 30 years of work, he turned a profit of $24,999,700. That's a pretty good profit for 30 years of work. Why? Because he was passionate about spreading the news of a soft drink. Now, there was a man who was taking a missions trip to Africa, and he was going to visit a missionary friend, and he was going to help him out, much like Brother Bassler and Brother Peyton are doing now. And he gets over there, and his friend tells him, he says, hey, we're going to go to this village over here that, to my knowledge, uh, no white man's ever been before. I don't know how they're going to react. And so this man is thinking, man, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to be the next Jim Elliott story? I really wasn't thinking I put my life in danger over here, but okay, let's do it. And he told him, he said, now look, the gospel's never been here before, to my knowledge. No one's ever made contact with these people. So they go in there, and they make contact with the people, and the people, turns out, are very friendly. They're very nice to them. And so they get excited, like, okay. And the chief says, hey, come down to my hut. I want to give you a special gift for coming all this way to visit our village. And so they go into the hut, and they're like, oh, man, what's he going to pull out? You know, some interesting African artifact. He pulls out a 12-pack of Coca-Cola to give them. Now, we think that's funny because they're thinking, of all things, Coca-Cola. But what's sad is that people are more passionate about spreading the news of Coca-Cola, and Coca-Cola reached that African village long before the gospel ever did. So I would say this today. 
Soul winning is the heart of the New Testament church. It's the heartbeat of the New Testament church. Uh, where there is no soul winning, there is a loss of life. When the desire to win souls fades, so does the life of that church. The Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise. If God calls something wise in the Bible, I want to capitalize on what it is that God is saying is wise. We have a pandemic in our country, and it's not COVID-19. It's a heart problem in our churches. We've lost our desire to reach souls. Um, churches who once upon a time used to have a great soul winning program, used to have people who cared, used to have a fire and a zeal to reach the lost, but now that fire is cold. Our country would be in a much better position if we had churches who had a desire to go out soul winning. And whenever I say soul winning, I'm not just talking about a Saturday only meeting. I'm talking about a lifestyle. Somebody who is burdened to reach the lost. If Christians would get back to the basic fundamentals, we might find that God could send a revival. It's still possible. But what does God bless? God blesses work. And we have people, I'm afraid, in many churches that have become disillusioned with the work of the ministry. And they've become so focused in on the material blessings that come from the work that they forget they got to go out and do the work. Jude verse 22 says, And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. But here's the thing. To pull someone out of the fire, you got to recognize there's a fire. you got to recognize there's someone in need. We oftentimes pray for revival, and you should, but what have you done to move the hand of God towards revival? Well, what, what is revival? Revival is the lost getting saved and the saved getting right. But if saved people would get right and go out soul winning and have a burden for lost souls, we'd probably start seeing people saved. That sounds like the very definition of revival to me. When a church becomes cold, it is a church that no longer cares about meeting the lost in their city, about getting them into church, seeing them saved. God blesses, yes, but he blesses work, and he blesses his word. You want God to bless us with revival? Then we can't only pray for it. We've got to do something about it. We've got to go out soul winning. We've got to give the gospel out. And you say, well, Brother Jackson, I can't speak. Well, you know what? Neither could Moses. Neither could a lot of people before they started. You say, well, well, I'm young. I'm just a child. Samuel was a child. Um, Daniel was a child. David was a young man. Josiah was only eight years old when he led the entire country of Israel back to God. Your abilities, your age, your talents or lack thereof are not an excuse to get you out of the responsibility of being a witness, but rather it is a reason to depend all the more on the Holy Spirit. All that the Lord wants is a willing vessel. God's work and God's word, they go hand in hand. If you are doing the work with God's word and you got the Holy Spirit inside of you, God will do, the, God will do all, everything that needs to be done. You just got to get the gospel to them. The command to be a witness in the Bible and spread the gospel is just that. It's a command. It's not a talent or else God would not have commanded you to do something that you do not have the ability to do. Uh, let's start in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and we'll get to the verse eventually. Uh, I don't know about you. I want to be a healthy individual. I went to the doctor recently, which wasn't my personal decision. It was my wife's, I would have to say. And, of course, the doctor's like, well, let's do a little blood work. And I was like, well, I know what it's going to say. And the blood work comes back, and he's like, your cholesterol is about, I don't even know what to say, one point or something, too high. He said, maybe you should lay off the snacks. I was like, okay, maybe I should lay off the snacks. You know, I want to be healthy. If I want to be a healthy individual, even more so, I want to be a healthy and a strong Christian. If soul winning is the heartbeat of the church, 
then I would say that soul winning is also the heartbeat of the Christian. Um, we need to maybe revive ourselves a little bit. We need some CPR. We need some heart-healthy things. We need some revival in our spiritual life. Uh, the best way that I found personally is to go soul winning. When you focus your needs less on your needs and more on the needs of others, God has a way of just reviving you. I, I, I can't explain it. I can't point to a verse in the Bible that says, oh yeah, God says he'll do this. Maybe there's one in there. I just haven't found it yet. But I'm going to tell you this. When you go soul winning, I, I had somebody tell me that. It was somebody I looked up to, and I was in a hard point in life. And I remember I went to uh, this man that I trusted, and I said, brother so-and-so, I, I'm struggling with this problem. What should I do? He said, don't worry about the problem. Go soul winning. I was like, how is that going to help my problem? And he said, don't worry about it. Go soul winning. And so I did. I went soul winning. After a couple weeks, I led someone to the Lord, and I came back to him. I said, hey, I went soul winning. This person over here, so-and-so, got saved. Now, what about my problem? He said, don't worry about it. Go back out soul winning. Try to get them in church. See if they can get baptized. Get them down the aisle, and then we'll focus on that next. I said, okay. So I started working on them, and I kept soul winning. I got another soul, and another soul, and another soul. Next thing, before you know it, I was so focused on the needs of others, I had forgot about all of my own needs, because as I was serving others, God took care of my problems. God took care of my needs. Well, Maybe we need a, what do they call it, an AED or the defibrillator where they rub them together and pow, shock your heart back to life. If you want to do that in your spiritual life, soul winning is the best way to do it. Uh, the most exciting thing that I can think of is soul winning. When I see somebody saved, I'm not a very expressionable person, but whenever I see somebody saved, man, that does something on the inside of me. It excites me, and it should be the same for every Christian. At the end of the day, I want to serve God, and I know that you do too. I know that that's everyone here's desire. I know who I'm preaching to tonight. I hope that this is a help and an encouragement to you. But when God looks down on us, I hope that he would say, hey, that Christian right there, they're refreshing. They're exhilarating. They're invigorating. God talks about a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord. I want to be a sweet-smelling savor unto God. How do we do that? I believe a soul winner is one of the best ways to be a sweet-smelling savor to God. I would hope also that uh, when our pastor is around us, he would say, hey, that Christian's refreshing. I would hope that when you're around your family, they would say, hey, that Christian, mom, dad, brother, sister, son, daughter, they're, they're exhilarating. They make me want to serve God more. They make me want to be a better soul winner. Whenever you're around your friends, your coworkers, you fill in the, the blank, do they get a taste of what your Christianity is really all about? In Texas, all soft drinks are called Coke. So you go through the drive-thru at Whataburger, you order your meal, and they ask, what kind of Coke you want with that? Oh, Dr. Pepper. Uh, give me a Sprite. So I'm going to take that word, Coke, C-O-K-E, and I'm going to use that as an acronym to learn some things about how to be a soul-winning Coca-Cola Christian. I told you it was a junior church message, so get ready and hang on. Number one, commitment to the cause. If you want to be a soul-winning Christian, there needs to be some commitment that is there. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19, the Bible says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now Christ says to teach all nations. He said, by the way, I'm going to be with you to the end of the world. And yet Coca-Cola got there before we ever did, and we had a 2,000-year head start. 
How is it that Coca-Cola can find its way into the cracks and crevices of the world before a Christian does? I'll tell you why. It's because there is a lack of commitment to the cause among Christians today in general. There are 197 countries in the world, and Coca-Cola has been bought and sold in every single one of them. I wonder how many countries do not have the shining light of the gospel inside of them because Christians don't have a commitment to the cause. I believe that there are a shortage of Christians who are committed to the cause of soul winning. Think about the martyrs of years past, uh, boiled alive, sawn in half, devoured by wild animals, burned at the stake. Uh, I recently read about a city. The entire city was uh, professing believing Christians. And uh, the Catholic Church came in and said, recant or we're burning down your city. And there was even five and six-year-olds in this city who refused to recant when they went one by one by one. If a five-year-old can have enough commitment to say, no, I'm not giving it up, no, I'm staying true, I think I can have enough commitment to the cause of Christ to go out soul winning. We've, we've got it on a silver platter here in America. We've had life so easy, and sometimes we forget that there is a lost and a dying world. It takes commitment to be faithful week in and week out. I know it's not easy. I know it's not always easy to say, you know what, I should witness to this person, and we just say, Ah, it's going to make me uncomfortable. I'm not going to do it. I know. I've been there. I'm just like all of you. But God says we need a commitment to the cause. It takes commitment when you're sweating profusely one week and the next week you're freezing. Uh, it takes commitment whenever you see no results. Um, you know, it, it dawned on me a few years ago. We can go out soul winning week after week. We can be a witness at work day after day. We can do our best to invite people to church all the time. And if we never saw one result, we would still be blessed because we're doing the work of God, because we're staying faithful. It's not up to you to get the fruit. It's up to you to do the work, and you leave the results up to God. During World War II, one of the Coca-Cola leaders named Robert Woodruff declared that soldiers should be able to get a bottle of Coca-Cola for five cents wherever they were in the world, no matter what it cost the company. More than 5 billion bottles of Coca-Cola were distributed to U.S. troops during World War II. Portable soda fountains were even flown into remote areas in the South Pacific at great expense to the company because Coca-Cola wanted soldiers to have a soft drink. That's how they were willing to lose money. I mean, you don't see very many companies like that today just to give people a soft drink. The technical officers who hazarded their lives to get this Coca-Cola into these countries and even cross battlefields were affectionately known as Coca-Cola colonels. There were two of these roughly 125 Coca-Cola colonels who died on the field of battle, not fighting for freedom, not defending their homeland, not even armed with anything but a desire to distribute a soft drink. Remind me again why we can't be committed to spreading the gospel when they died to hand out a Coca-Cola. What are you willing to do to reach the lost? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You're not going to last long through the hardships without enough character to commit. I hardly ever get salvations at the first door. But if I just said, well, first door didn't work. I guess this doesn't work. I got to go. No, it takes more commitment than that. Um, I, I specifically remember there was this one year and uh, I, I had just become captain of a bus route and it was struggling and I said, man, the, I don't know if it's worth it. I just know, you know what? I'm just going to tell the Lord, God, I'm going to give you an extra hour of soul winning every week. Use that 
to help me get people in church. Please, God, I'm going to give you the work. Now let's see some results. So I remember that very first week, I did three or four hours, and I said, all right, God, I promised you an extra hour, so here we go. I can do this. I was hot. It was tired. I had a busy schedule. I just wanted to go home and sleep. But I stayed out an extra hour, and I remember that first door knock, there was a boy named Booker. Booker got saved. Booker rode the church, church bus the next day, and he rode faithfully for several years. And then the next week, I met a boy named Avant. Whew, I love that kid. And Avant, um, he got saved. Then his sister got saved. Then his mom got saved. His dad was overseas in the army. His dad came home and his dad got saved. And I didn't even know this until a couple years later, but his mom and dad were this close. They'd already filled out the divorce papers. And then a couple years after I had left college, they sent me a text saying, hey, our marriage is together because we're saved. Now, they moved away, but they got plugged into another church. And I, I'm not saying it's anything because of what I did. I'm just saying sometimes you don't know what God will do with the extra commitment that you give to him. But you'll never know unless you give him the commitment to the cause. Soul winning is not a Saturday thing. It's a lifestyle. Checking off a box on your to-do list for God is not a commitment to a cause. Finding an excuse or a way to get out of your responsibility of being a soul winner is not commitment to a cause. Being ashamed of the fact that you're a Christian at work or in the world is not commitment to a cause. I know who I'm talking to. Most of you, I would easily say in a heartbeat, are much better Christians than I am. But let's not forget, we got to stay committed to this cause. Our pastor has some mighty big goals. And I'm going to be honest, it scares me sometimes. But you know what it does? It motivates me to say, you know what, if we're going to have more buildings, bigger buildings, you know what we need? We need to fill those buildings up. I don't want an empty building sitting out here. I did not spend all this time praying and giving to have a bunch of empty seats. You know what that once makes me want to do? Go out and get souls to fill them. But we got to be committed to the cause. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul was not a man that suffered from a lack of commitment to the cause, and because of that, he affected an entire generation and world for Christ. Think about what God could do with the work that you give to him. Think about what could happen if you were committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Coca-Cola Christianity first requires that we have commitment to the cause. Secondly, it requires an others-first mindset, an others-first mindset. Uh, I heard it said one time, and I like it, soul winning is one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. Soul winning is just saying, hey, here's the good stuff. Hey, this will help you, and this will help them for all of eternity. David asked God, he said, God, enlarge my heart. Now, I found, I, I found that interesting. I was like, what is he asking for? Sometimes we just got to spend a little extra time on our knees saying, God, give me a bigger heart. God, give me a bigger burden. Lord, help me to see the needs of the lost. Lord, help me to be a better witness. A selfish mindset 
is one of, you know what, Saturday soul winning is just taking up too much time. I'd rather be watching college football. It's too hot. It's raining. You know, it's, it's too embarrassing if I try to ask my coworker if he's saved. Uh, th- this is kind of inconvenient to ask the cashier at the grocery store. These people aren't going to listen anyways. That's a selfish Christian, but it's a fleshly one that we all got to struggle with. The Bible says, mine eye affecteth mine heart. When's the last time you looked at the needs of the souls around you? Don't look at them as a person that's in your way. Don't look at them as another person that you just got to deal with. Look at them as a soul. Look at them the way that God looks at them. They're a soul that needs to be saved. Put the focus where it belongs, on the lost souls of others. Jesus did not die on the cross because he was selfish. He did not take upon himself the sins of the entire world because he was selfish. In fact, even when he was hanging on the cross, he said, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Jesus constantly was looking at others and the needs of others. He told us that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. We, said, we heard the song about Jesus leaving the 99 sheep to go find the one. And then we sang, bring them in. But do we apply it in our lives? Is it shown in an others first type of a mindset? Are we too focused on ourselves as a Christian to say, you know what, God, thank you for giving me your salvation, but I'm going to keep it to myself. God didn't give you salvation so that you could be quiet about it. God gave you salvation because he wanted you to spread the news. When you get close to God and you spend time becoming more like him, you will inevitably find yourself becoming more and more of a person who desires to see souls saved. God loves people. I think we can all agree on that. God loves people so much that he sent his son to die for them. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Now, if God gave his only son, then I would think the more we become like God, the more attributes we have of God, the more that we're going to have that same desire to see souls saved. And I think we would all agree with that. The more you go after God, the more you'll go after souls. And others' first mindset is one of sacrifice, though. God gave his son. Jesus gave his life. Martyrs have given their lives. What have we given? Have we given our time, our talent, our treasure, our energy? Sometimes it just takes time. Sometimes it's just you having the mindset of, this is what I'm going to do. Lord, I know this is what you said in your word. I'm going to do it. And all this first mindset is developed through prayer. I mentioned it before. Sometimes you just got to ask God, God, give me a better heart. Lord, give me a bigger burden. How do you think pastor got the visions that we have? Not just because it just suddenly just popped into his mind and said, oh, well, this is a good idea. Let's do that. No, it's spent in time and prayer. Now, if you find yourself sometimes struggling to have a burden, or maybe you just say, well, I just don't see the the point of it all. Maybe you should pray. God, give me a burden. Lord, if it's really that important, make it evident in my life. And others' first mindset stems from a servant's heart. It takes a servant to take care of the needs of others before they take care of the needs of others. Of themselves. Jesus was a servant. I think that we should be a servant if we're going to be a soul winner. God always blesses the person who puts others first. You hear that from the time that, uh, I mean, you're, you're knee high to a grasshopper. They, they, they scream it at you in nursery. You get it at home. You get it at school. You get it in church, junior church, Sunday school. Everywhere, it's like, oh, you got you to gotta think about others. Don't be selfish. And yet, for some reason, we graduate, we start living our life, and slowly, we just become more selfish. Don't be a selfish Christian with the gospel. Share it with somebody else. Coca-Cola Christian requires that we have a commitment to the cause. In others' first mindset, number three, know your purpose. Know your purpose. Philippians 3, 
verses 13 and 14 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't sound like most Christians today. He's a man of purpose. Soul winning is not a talent that you acquire. It's a command that is to be obeyed for every Christian. We tend to sometimes reprimand the younger generation. We say, well, they just don't have purpose. Like, what do you want to do with your life? I don't know. Well, what's going to happen whenever you graduate? I don't know. And we say, man, look at them. They just, they just don't have any purpose. They're just wandering through life. But, you know, if we're honest, sometimes in our Christian life, we get that same way. We just don't really have much purpose. We go to church. That's great. You should go to church. But sometimes we go home and it's like, so what about that spiritual life? And spiritually, we're just shrugging our shoulders and going, I don't know. Are you going to share the gospel with someone? If you're saved, you've got a purpose to be a soul winner. God wants you to spread the gospel. It's pretty obvious in the book of Matthew. That's what he told us to do. Then how come we're allowing a soft drink to outdo us? Christians have more reason to spread the gospel than anyone ever does to spread a soft drink and yet we've still been beat to the punch. When I first got to college, I remember I didn't really have much purpose. Uh, I knew kind of what I thought God wanted me to do with my life, and I remember I was just kind of doing what was expected of me, but after a year or so, God started to deal with my heart about some things. And I remember he got a hold of me, and through a series of messages, I decided, you know, I'm going to change some things in my life. God, I'm, I'm going to become more dedicated to you. And I knew I was called to reach the deaf. And so I remember I had a dry erase board that was up on my dresser, and uh, I would use it to write down due dates for tests and quizzes, and it always seemed like it was way too full. And I remember I just walked into my room, and I erased everything, and I said, forget it. And I put down my purpose to reach the deaf with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was my purpose. That's why I was here on this earth. Sometimes people act like the will of God is some mystical thing that's playing peekaboo and trying to hide from you. God already told you what he wanted you to do. Go win a soul. And when you win that soul, God will lead you to the next one and the next one and the next one. It'll take care of itself. So I said, you know what? If God wants me to win souls, especially the deaf, then I need to set some goals up that are going to help me to fulfill my purpose in life. And so I wrote down some goals that would help me to fulfill that purpose. My life verse is Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. I love the spirit of Job. Job said, God, if you demand my life, take it, kill me. I want to stay true before you, though. I want to keep my integrity. Now, that's somebody with some purpose. That's somebody who made a decision and stuck with it. Soul winning is the spiritual heartbeat of every Christian. And I found that, at least personally, my growth as a Christian can usually be found parallel to my growth and desire to win souls for Christ. When I find I don't really want to go out soul winning, it's usually because maybe I haven't been in the Bible like I should. When I find I just don't really have a burden for the people that I see and the souls that I meet, I find it's usually because I'm slacking off when I shouldn't be. How's your soul winning? How's your, how's your spiritual growth? Usually you'll find that they're tied together. Do you purpose to win souls? Uh, what legacy are you leaving behind for the next generation? A couple months ago, we took... Our daughter, she was the only one in the nursery, so we took her out soul winning with us. And uh, we were knocking on doors and, you know, inviting people to church, and she, she, she did pretty good with it. I was happy. And we get home, and the next day I notice she's going around the house, and she's knocking on every closed door. And at first I was like, what is she doing? 
I looked at my wife and I said, my daughter is weird. She's too much like you. And my wife is like, I don't know what she's doing. Then the next day it dawned on us, it's because we went out door knocking. She saw us knocking in all these doors. My daughter is 16 months old and she's already picking up on this kind of stuff. What kind of legacy are you leaving for those coming behind you, mom, dad, grandparent, Sunday school teacher? Your children are watching you. The younger generation is watching you, even at an extremely young age. Are you passing on to them through your actions that it is important to win souls? Are you passing on to them through your actions that this is who we are? I would hope so. God did not leave us here to fill up space. He gave us a purpose. Sunday school teachers, don't be content to teach week in and week out to the same people who come. Try to get more in that class. Fill up those empty seats. Bus workers, we've had some good days out soul winning recently. We've seen some people saved. Don't get satisfied. Don't be pacified into forgetting your purpose. Soul winner, don't lose your fire to reach the city for Christ. It can happen. People can be saved. Uh, I remember... I heard the illustration once of a young, a young boy, and he's walking along the beach, and uh, there's all kinds of starfish that will wa- wash up on the beach. And, of course, if they get left there and the sun comes up, then they're going to dry out and they're going to die. So he's walking along the beach, and he's picking up these starfish, and he's just chunking them in the ocean. And this old man is just sitting there, just watching him, shaking his head. And he looks down the beach, and there's just miles and miles of starfish. And this little boy is just one by one just tossing him in there. Finally, he gets close to the old man, and the old man says, boy, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm trying to save the starfish. He's like, don't you see how many starfish are out there? You're never going to make it. The boy doesn't say anything. He just picks up a starfish. He throws it in the ocean. He said, I made a difference for that one. You know, sometimes you look too much, and you say, man, we can never reach the entire city of Jacksonville. You don't have to reach the entire city of Jacksonville. Let God take care of that. You reach the people that you can reach. You witness to the people that you can witness to. Coca-Cola Christianity requires that we have a commitment to the cause and others' first mindset, and we know our purpose. Number four, and lastly, evaluate yourself. Evaluate yourself. Haggai 1.7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. When Coca-Cola was becoming the premier drink of choice in the early 1900s, there were other drinks that were also being created that started to rival them. But yet Coke remained a consumer favorite because they held themselves and their retailers to a high level of excellence. Coca-Cola would send out representatives to inspect the temperature of the drinks at the stores and restaurants where it was served. They would not allow their beverage to be served above 40 degrees Fahrenheit. If it was, then they would no longer sell drinks at that store or that restaurant. If a store had a bad reputation in the community for being a sketchy place... They would remove their product off of the shelf because they wanted no association with anything less than the best. Now, they were constantly evaluating themselves, holding themselves to a high standard. Christian, don't become content with where you are in your Christian life. Don't become content with where you are in your soul winning efforts. How effective are you as a soul winner? What can you improve on? Are you making an effort? Are you missing opportunities to spread the gospel? Ezekiel chapter 3, I like the way it puts it, verse number 17. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth, and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require 
at thine hand. We are here to watch for men's souls. God didn't put you in Jacksonville, Florida on accident. I grew up in the fields of Texas. What in the world am I doing here? I still ask myself that sometimes. God put me here for a reason. There are souls that only I can reach. Who is it that only you can reach, that God needs you to reach? I don't want to get to heaven and have blood on my hands because I refuse to do the work of Christ. Coca-Cola's brand is worth $83.8 billion today. In the first year, Coke only sold 25 bottles in an entire year. Currently, they sell 1.8 billion bottles every single day. On average, over 10,000 soft drinks from Coca-Cola are consumed every second of every day all around the world just because somebody was passionate about a soft drink. Just because you haven't had much success yet in your soul winning efforts doesn't mean that you won't someday. Just because you haven't seen any results or any fruit yet doesn't mean that you won't someday. You might be in the 25 bottles a year stage. You never know what God can do if you continue to work and if you continue to press on. And you know what? By simply obeying God's command, we're already successful. God didn't say, oh, you have to go out and see salvations. God said, do the work. I'll take care of the results. Just obey. Stay faithful to obey. When God looks down on us, on our church, I hope that he says, man, Emmanuel Baptist Church, that's refreshing. I hope that whenever he sees us out in the workplace and in the grocery store and out about our lives, I hope he says, man, the Emmanuel Baptist Church members, they're exhilarating, invigorating. Maybe you're not a soul winner. You've never even tried to invite someone to church or Show them how they could know for sure they're going to heaven. You can start now. we got enough people in this church that would love to show you how you can be a soul winner. Maybe you're a soul winner, but you just haven't been as committed as you should be. Maybe you've been selfish with your time, selfish with giving to missions, selfish with your abilities, and you haven't been fulfilling your purpose. If that's you, I would encourage you to change that today. Let's get back on track. Let's make sure our heart is where it's supposed to be. Let's make sure we're a heart-healthy Christian in church and that we have a desire to win souls. You have no idea who could be waiting on the truth, but they're never going to receive it if you don't give it to them. We have a responsibility, church, to get the gospel out to a lost and dying world. If you don't, who's it going to be? It's not going to be the modern churches around town. It won't be the random person who says, yeah, I have church at home. It's going to have to be us. We've got the truth. You can't be stingy with it. Coca-Cola Christianity requires that we have a commitment to the cause, and others' first mindset, we know our purpose, and we evaluate ourselves.